All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I got to sit down and chat with Dustin Clark. And Dustin is a houndsman out of southwest Utah. He's been running hounds for, I believe he said, 14 years. And the guy loves it. You can tell he's passionate about it. He loves to see the dogs work. And he's a family man. He gets his kids, his wife involved. It's a whole family affair that he loves to do every weekend. And so I really hope you listen to this episode because there's not a lot of people who participate in this sport. Um, as far as like the whole outdoor industry goes, it's probably one of the smaller sports, but it sounds incredible. Watching dogs work in the past, um, I can see how addicting it would be to have a whole pack of dogs that are running a big cat or a bear or something like that. And so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this, um, but I'm actually going to cut this intro short a little bit, and I'll give you a reason why right here. I am about to leave on a float plane bear viewing tour. I'm up in Kodiak, Alaska with a couple buddies, and we have a full day of adventure planned. We're going to fly into a river where some of the biggest brown bears in the world are, and so we've got to get our bags packed quick. We're going to get picked up here in about 25, 30 minutes. And so I'm going to get this episode knocked out so that you guys can listen to it and follow along on some of the journey up here in Alaska. But don't think too much into that yet because you've got to hear from Dustin Clark and hear all the adventure he has in the mountains of Southwest Utah. Like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. And on the line with me today is a guy by the name of Dustin Clark. And Dustin has been running hounds now for over a decade. Um, and we chatted a little bit before the show about kind of how he got into it. But I'm going to let him explain that more to you right now. So, Dustin, thanks for hopping on the show with me. Oh, man, it, it, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it. So. Uh, could you could you tell the listeners a little bit about how you got into running hounds? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, growing up, I always had bird dogs, and I loved watching just the dogs work. I mean, mainly it was just pheasants. Um, where I grew up, there was a lot of pheasants. But uh, I got a job working at a metal, uh, metal fabrication shop, and uh, a couple of guys there ran hounds. They invited me along for a lion hunt that they were going on. They were just going to tree a lion not harvested, but, uh, I went, we didn't even find anything, you know, we just had the dogs out and everything. And I was, I was hooked within a week. I had my first hound That's and awesome. from there, from there, it's just snowballed <laughs> so, at this point. How many, how many hounds do you have? And over the years, how many have you had? Uh, right now, currently I have 10. Um, we're looking within the next couple months, we'll probably add two more to that. Okay. Um, I've, I've got some buddies that have one has a litter on the ground that I'm excited about. And then also I have another buddy that, um, has a female that's about ready, uh, about here in a week, she'll have pups and she's actually at my house. We raise the pups with the kids just cause it helps them handle better when they're older, if they get socialized. Oh, okay. So, so I'll pick up a puppy from both of those litters and we'll be up to about 12, but over the years, I've probably had probably close to 
35, 40 hounds. Okay. Now what, what specific, I mean, is there a specific breed that you like to run over another? Is it kind of a mixed batch when you, when you run hounds? Yeah. So, so all the dogs that I run, especially right now are, they're what we call grade dogs, which are, they're no specific breed. They've got a little bit of everything in them, but I get most of my dogs from a family here in Southern Utah. That's been kind of breeding their own dogs for 70 plus years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, they've just kind of kept, you know, breeding good dogs to good dogs and just kept going on that from generation to generation. I think right now, my buddy, uh, Hunter, that I really, how I met that family, um, he's the fifth generation houndsman, if I remember right. Dang. That, I, I'm like a, I don't know, probably fourth generation deer hunter. And by deer hunter, I mean, like, sit in a tree stand for seven days out of the year with a rifle. Mm-hmm. And that's about all um, most of my family had invested into it. But coming from five generations of houndsmen, in my mind, I'm like, houndsmen have to be some of the tougher people in the outdoor industry. Like you're, you're climbing up and down mountains. You're handling a pack of dogs that are chasing cats and bears that are three to four times their size. Like that's not for the faint of heart. No, no. And, and, and that's what a lot of people don't understand about it is they think, oh, the dogs do all the work. They they catch it, they do this, it's easy. But I mean, the time, the amount of money, the gas, and just the pure physical, you know, like hiking, following the dogs, handle them. It's not a hobby. It's, it's a way of life. You can't just be a houndsman and do it. Oh, I'm going to run my dogs on a bear this week and then not do anything for six months. No, it's, I, I'm out exercising my dogs at least three times a week. And then I'm hunting on the weekends as well. I, well, I was kind of curious about that. I'm like, it's one, it seems like hound hunting would be a full-time deal, but then having a family on top of that, it's like, you almost have to choose either I'm going to run my hounds. I'm going to be with my family or you combine the two like you've done and you turn it into a family activity. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and honestly, for the first, you know, probably seven or eight years, it was my hounds or the family until my kids started to take interest and then once the kids started to take interest that pulled my wife into it and then that's where you know the whole instagram the hunting fam came about was when she finally decided to jump ship and oh this is finally okay instead of you're being a pain in my butt and gone all the time (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm hoping my wife gets into is she just jumps on board with my hobbies, but my kids are still pretty young. I've got a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And so it's like, we can get them out, but their attention span is very short and like rabbit hunting, they could handle that. You know, it's kind of active walking around, having fun, watching dogs work, but sitting in a tree stand. Oh my goodness. About three seconds in, it's like, I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom. Where's mommy and sissy at? But something active, like what you're talking about, that could I think that could intrigue them and get their, keep their attention the entire time we're out there. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's honestly when it all really started with the kids is my boy was probably three years old and, you know, and I coyote hunt as well, as far as just calling in and stuff like that. And he's finally like, dad, I want to go. And I took him and he just like, he morphed. It was this little rambunctious, 
never be quiet kid. And then I kind of just had to talk with him like, Hey, you got to be quiet. You got to hold still or we won't see any coyotes. And he changed completely. Didn't say a word, held still. The first time I took him out, he peed his pants twice because he didn't want to move and didn't want to <laughs> say, dad, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh man. And so, and, and that's really when it started. And Amanda with my wife was just like, man, that's, he's changed it. He just loves it. He eats, sleeps, and breathes hunting, and he's just ready for it. And that's really what kind of pulled his older sisters into it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. That's so cool. I, yeah, coyote hunting, coyote hunting seems like a pretty cool deal to get, to get people just interested in the outdoors and hunting and stuff, because it is kind of action packed, you know, between the calling and the setup. And you've got some movement out there potentially with the decoy and, then when the dogs mm-hmm. come in, I mean, they come in hot, but have, oh, yeah. you, have you um, seen the videos of guys using dogs for coyotes um, where they yes. use like the decoy dogs? Yes. And that's actually another thing that's on my bucket list is to get in and do that. Cause that's, I mean, just watching a dog work is awesome, but just a different way from what I'm used to. I, I want to experience that. Oh yeah. It's like they tease the coyotes into the decoy or in, into range, but then you watch oh, these guys. And you can tell that they're not out there primarily to coyote hunt. They're out there running their dogs because they'll let these dogs run the coyote back and forth for like 30 or 40 minutes sometimes before they actually take the animal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen multiple videos like that. And it's, it's just awesome to watch them work that coyote. What, uh, switching gears a little bit, what, what does it look like to train a dog for mountain lion hunting? Or, or like for treeing bears or mountain lions or whatever that might be. Is it, I mean, from my understanding, it's like, once you get a good batch of dogs, they almost train each other um, once they're going, but is there a lot of initial stuff with a pup that you have to do to get it interested to the level you want? Um, so when I first started running dogs, yeah, it was, it was a lot of doing scent drags, a lot of working with the pup, a lot of, you know, hanging, a scent drag in a tree, trying to get them to tree and stuff like that. But now as I'm farther along, I mainly just socialize the pup with the kids and with the older dogs, let them grow up a little. And then as soon as they act like they want to go with the older dogs, I'll let them go. Cause those older dogs can teach them so much more than I can. Yeah. I mean, it's still a lot of work. There's nothing more frustrating than a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they have it in them and you know, it's going to come sooner or later, but man, they can, they can really piss you off. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But I mean, yeah, I, I mean, scent drags and just socializing them. But the biggest thing you can do with hounds is get them out and hunt them and spend time with them. And that's, I mean, it, like I say, it, it takes up a lot more time than just deer hunting or elk hunting or, you know, like I, I love to deer and elk hunt, but 99% of my hunting time is spending time with my dogs, whether I'm on the mountain, actually hunting mountain lions or bears or I'm exercising and running them, or I'm doing a scent drag or, you know, anything like that, trying to work on their treeing. It's just, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah. But I bet, I mean, it seems like it keeps you on your toes pretty well. Now, um, on, on the actual hunting portion of it, once you get your dogs out, can you walk me through that process? Like you wake up in the morning, get the dogs loaded, and then what do you do from there? How do you go about finding these, these cats and these bears? So, so very different style of hunting, um, versus cats and bears. Um, typical cat, you know, trying to find a lion to run for me is I'm up 
at probably two 30 to three in the morning. Um, get up, get my gear loaded. I'll load the dogs. And then I head to where I hunt and it's pretty much just driving roads, you know, especially on a fresh snow, you're just driving roads, looking for a track. And once you find the track, you're, you have to wait till daylight to turn out. Um, and once we find that track, wait, get the dogs out. And usually I'll start one or two of my older dogs, let them kind of get it moving and kind of line it out is the term we use just so they're on it, they're moving good. And then I'll start to feed in younger dogs and a few more dogs. Um, and then from there, I mean, mainly it's up to the dogs. I mean, if they're, if they're struggling with it, if it's a little bit older track or it's got snow blown in it, I'll walk with them until they heat it up. But okay. uh, a lot of, a lot of times if it's a fresh track, I'll cut them loose and I won't see them until they're at the tree. They, they're oh, just, wow. they're just gone. You know, they, they head the country and some of these lions will travel, you know, a mile from where it all depends on what end of the track I find, whether it's the first of the night when they started to move or the last of the night. So I could have a mile race or I could have a six or seven mile race. And so for me to keep up with them, not going to happen if it's a fresh (laughs) track, if it's an older track, I can stay with them pretty good until they heat it up and then they'll leave me in the dust. So a lot of it's just, um, listening to them. And, you know, we kind of, we have the GPS trackers, which make it definitely a lot easier than it used to be. Um, but yeah, once I let them go, you know, you listen to them and then you'll check the tracker and eventually they'll throw a tree signal and then it's finding the nearest road that's closest for least amount of walking and go from there. But some days I walk, some days I walk a hundred yards, other days I walk a mile and a half to two miles. You never know. Dang. So once you, once you do cut that track and it's heated up, like you were saying, do you basically just head back to the truck and watch the tracker and listen out the window at that point? Um, normally I have the tracker with me even when I'm hiking. So a lot of times I'll just stay up on a high ridge okay. cause I, I like, I like to listen to them. You yeah. know, I can, t- I can tell which dog with a distinct bark. I can tell which dog's doing this, which dog's in the lead, you know, which dogs are helping just, just listening to everything. That's, that's my favorite part is listening to and watching the dogs. If I can, I'll carry a pair of binoculars. And if I can see them across the Canyon, I'll watch them as much as I can. Sometimes with that, I'll be able to see once they get close enough to the mountain lion that they'll jump it. And I can see the cat in front of them, you know, watching. And then, then as soon as they get closer, all of a sudden you'll see that, that lion hop up a tree. And then it's, it's just fun to watch them and see which dogs maybe blow past the tree because they're going too fast or the older dogs will, run in and hit it right quick and bring the younger dogs back to them. And it's, uh, it's just fun watching the dogs. That, like I can't imagine being up on like a glassing knob somewhere with binoculars, watching a cat running from a pack of dogs. That sounds like one of the coolest things on the planet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and it's awesome to watch, but it doesn't happen every time. Some country you just can't see them. They make it over a ridge and you're never going to get there in time to see what's going on. I mean, as fast as they can move versus what I can do, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't happen sometimes. What, like, what's the percentage? I mean, is there kind of a consistent, like three out of four times, one out of four times that, uh, when you turn the dogs loose, they actually turn up a cat. I would love to tell you a hundred percent, but that just doesn't happen. <laughs> Usually, I mean, with the pack that I've got now, I've got some pretty good experienced older dogs that it's about 90% of the time, but it's also wow. based on the type of track that I turn out on. Okay. You know, usually, 
you're looking for the freshest track. But now I've kind of got to the point where I want to challenge them a little more. So I'm like, ah, that's a fresh one. But, you know, there's one that's, you know, a day older. I'm going to let them peck at it and let them work it because they learn more from that than they do just running a fresh hot track. Yeah, It's good for them to see lions, especially as young dogs. But, man, they learn so much more when they have to work hard for it. That's interesting. So then I'll, I'll change the uh, percentage question a little bit. Out of, out of the times that you go out and take your dogs out, how many, like what percentage of the time are you finding a fresh enough track to actually let the dogs run to, to be successful? Um, I'd say probably 60 to 70%. Okay. You know, it, it just depends on the conditions, you know, and here in Southern Utah, we get some like first of the winter, it's great. You got fresh snow, everything's working good. The snow holds, it's not melting off, but you get more towards that early spring. You'll have, um, you know, a lot more bared off hillsides where it's all completely no snow, but at the same point, it'll heat up warm enough during the day that everything's all like soggy, you know, there's moisture in the ground, yep. um, but it's muddy and then it freezes at night. And so when it freezes, that lion will walk on top of the frozen ground and if you don't get that lion up and moving before the frost comes out of the ground, you're not going to catch it. That, yeah. that frost will come out, the scent just dies off, and then those dogs just kind of stop. They'll kind of just stand on their nose and try and work it and work it, but they can't push it. Okay. So, so with that, obviously, like, fresh, fresh snow, you can cut a track and tell if it's, it's fresh right away. Um, are yes. there any other factors? Like, is there a specific temperature? Like, is it below freezing or like right at freezing is, does that come into play with, um, how well your dogs can track? Yeah. Yeah. The colder it gets, I mean, if you hit below freezing, it's hard for those dogs to, to push. I mean, they can do it, but it's just, you could cut a track and it's negative 10 degrees and you could try it. And those dogs might not be able to move it because it's so cold. And you okay. come back three hours later when it's warmed up to five, 10 degrees and they'll run it like like it's on fire it's just it's just crazy the way that temperature and humidity and stuff can really mess with scent okay man yeah there's there's so much more to this i mean obviously i knew it was a lot more than just letting dogs go and then you go find a cat but um all of that stuff having to take that into account is interesting i can see yeah i can see where the science is addicting as well oh yeah yeah, I mean, and and that's something I've got into it more and more uh, the farther I get along into it. At the first of it, I was just, let's find the freshest track. We're going to catch lions. I want to see lions. You know, it's just, and, that, and and to me, that's what it used to be about was, all oh, those dogs got a treat. That's what I'm about. And now I'm all about the trailing aspect of it now. If I catch it, that's just the cherry on top. But to me, watching those dogs work and push hard and trying to, accomplish what they're after is what it is for me now yeah is there do you have like a a hunt that in your mind is just the craziest hunt that you've been on or or maybe the most rewarding like what hunts stick out to you after doing this for 14 years uh, as far as lions go um i had one 
uh, one day this last winter where I was able, I mean, my older girls have went lion hunting with me, but it seems like they always end up coming on the wrong days. <laughs> so, so they had never seen a lion in a tree until this last winter. And I was hunting with one of my good buddies and we ended up catching two in one day. Whoa. And, and it happens. It all just depends on, you know, good conditions and how fast the first one goes and stuff like that. But for a day like that, where we were able to catch two and both of my oldest daughters were able to make it to both the trees was just, was awesome. Phenomenal. That's really cool. Getting your kids involved with something like that is, yeah, that would have been a cool way to grow up for sure. I just got, I was given a BB gun and like, just go shoot whatever you want. (laughs) Not (laughs) look, look down a 150 pound carnivore. Yeah. And then I was the same way. I wasn't raised around it. We deer and elk hunted and did a little bird hunting and that was it. You know, I think, I think I'm definitely blessed that my kids are raised in it the way that they are. And and they look at it as, you know, we're just here to take pictures of these animals. It's about the dogs. And once we're all done, we holler at the dogs, leash them up if we have to. And we go back to the truck and do it all over again. Yeah. That's amazing. How many, I mean, how many, how many, cats do you think you tree a year um i mean for the most part i just hunt the weekends because i have a regular job so this last year was definitely by far my best year and i treat just over 20 jeez that is so, so cool <laughs> and you know and this year i'm hoping you know with the job change and shift that's going on that it's going to be more than that i'm going to have a lot more time to hunt and hunt when i want so that's that's the plan anyways yeah is it a pretty big community of houndsmen out where you're at? I know you said some guys from work are the ones that got you into it. Um, are there just a lot of people in that area that do it? There, There is, and there's getting to be more and more. You know, back in the day, it wasn't as popular, and now it's really starting to shift to get more popular for sure. Okay. Yeah, I've never, I've never seen a mountain lion. The closest I've ever had to an encounter with a mountain lion was – two years ago, I was in Colorado elk hunting and I was actually being towed behind a side-by-side because my four-wheeler broke down. And all of a sudden these two guys that were in my hunting group came flying up behind us. And one of them is actually a houndsman. He was from Colorado, but now lives in California. Um, Mm -hmm. And he came flying up and he's like, did you guys just see that monster Tom out in the field? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, in my mind, I was thinking of Turkey because we had turkeys in camp the year before. Yep. And he's like, no, 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 no. A huge cat. It was right out in the field. It was about 75 yards from you guys. And it just watched you guys drive by. And then when I looked over and saw it, I locked up my four wheeler, uh, hit the brakes and watched it. And he's like, it's got to have a mule deer an elk or something down out in the field. And I'm like, awesome. The one chance I had to see a mountain lion, I was being pulled behind a four-wheeler and had to watch to make sure the line was taut so I didn't run into the back of his. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that sucks. But yeah, they're there. I mean, honestly, I've only ever seen one mountain lion, you know, without my dogs. Okay. And that was, that was just blind luck seeing it through a spotting scope. Jeez. Yeah. I've heard they're elusive and unless you're into the type of hunting where you're glassing constantly, the odds of seeing one, like just out and about is very slim. Um, yeah. I think my, my brother called me the first year I moved, uh, for college, he called me and they had a mountain lion in the back of our yard, um, up in Wisconsin. 
and I think it was up in one of the pine trees. We had pine trees that were about a hundred feet tall kind of surrounding our yard. And he said they heard it scream and they like opened it. The, they were at dinner with the sliding glass door open, but the screen door shut. And they heard this scream that he said sounded like a woman's scream. And they like got the spotlight out because there was sightings of a mountain lion around there and they never did see it up in the tree. But the next morning, my sister was taking trash out and saw it run across the road. And I'm mm-hmm. like, geez, and up there, I don't, I don't know, actually, in Wisconsin, I just didn't think about it growing up. I don't know if you can run hounds for cats up there or not. Um, I know they do for bobcats, but as far as mountain lion, I don't think there's a season because they're just not prominent enough that they have very many, as okay. far as I know. Yeah, that, I could see that being the case. I mean, I don't. Aside from that one, and then there was a neighbor who swore that they saw a black mountain lion multiple times. Um, those are the only two experiences I've heard about people having in that area. So it would make sense. They've mm-hmm. probably become a lot more prominent when you get up in the Northwoods, but I was kind of down in the in the farming belt of Wisconsin. And so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't quite as good of habitat for them, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and definitely up north, I think, especially with, you know, the Canadian border, which they have some pretty big mountain lions up in Canada and stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of border hop through there. Yeah. Do you do you travel at all um, for mountain lions or do you stay pretty local uh, to Utah? No, I stay local. I mean, honestly, most of where I hunt was is within 15 minutes to a half an hour from my house. Oh, cool. Well, that makes it easy. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I think about it and I'm like, I love to travel and hunt. Like that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things to do is go different places and experience new things, but I could see it being a much bigger chore with a dozen dogs in the truck bed and food and all that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't travel for mountain lions, but I do for bear, you know, okay. I, I travel a lot of where I like to hunt bears, um, is a five and a half hour drive. So if I'm going to do it, I'm at least making a three to two day trip out of it for sure. You know, and, and I have a goal eventually if I can ever make it work is I want to do, you know, kind of a tour across the U S and, and chase bears in every state that it's legal. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Hopefully, hopefully Missouri is open to that soon. They actually just opened up their first bear season this year. And so I put in for a tag for that did not get drawn, but, um, it sounds like we're having a much larger, uh, boom in population of bears than they ever thought was going to be possible. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I know Arkansas has got a a fair amount. Wisconsin definitely has some, they locked my high school down one day. And I mean, we weren't in a small city. Well, I guess it was a smaller as far as the city goes, but it was about 60,000 people. Mm-hmm. But my high school was right in the middle of the, of the city. And I remember I was sitting in math class and they come over the, the loudspeaker and they're like, hey, we're going into a lockdown. Don't worry, there's no interior threat, but there is a black bear out on the front lawn of the high school. And we're all <laughs> like, what in the world? I mean, because like being up there, you know, there's bears around, but we've never seen one in the middle of the city like that. And so, yeah, as you can imagine, if you were standing on the street, you probably saw about 1500 faces pressed against the glass, looking out in the <laughs> front lawn. Oh yeah. Um, so how, how does that change then? Um, that was kind of a good segue into bear hunting. What does that look like start to finish, um, when you're on bears? 
So bears for us, it's a little different, um, especially with the kids there. Um, mountain lion, I'm usually honestly by myself, probably 75% of the time, unless I'm with some buddies, the kids, my two younger kids aren't quite big enough to go. The older ones go when they can, but for bears, I mean, it's a family thing. The kids love it. They like the warmer weather. My wife loves it. Uh, I mean, when it comes to mountain lions, you're not going to get her out of the house. She's a hermit in the winter. She's like, she's seen one in a tree and it was on a good warm day in the spring and it wasn't much snow and that was good enough for her. She's like, no, I'm good. I don't need to experience the cold at three in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, with mountain lions, I'm usually up or with bears. I mean, sorry, bears were usually waking up around, um, four, we can, we'll usually start going, um, driving down roads, rigging at five. And, and what rigging is, is I've got a, a rack on top of my dog box that, uh, has chains on it that I hook four to five dogs on and they sit right on top and pretty much we'll just drive down roads. I mean, I'm looking for tracks, but it's in the dirt. It's not as always, always easy to see them. So we just drive down roads and the dogs will let us know when they smell a bear, we'll be driving all nice and quiet. Next thing you know, they'll all explode, start barking, letting you know that there's a bear in the area. And after that, if it's a really good rig that I'm confident, they got a good, good smell of it. I'll turn a couple loose and let them go out, try and find it. Sometimes the bear will cross the road exactly and you they'll hit it right off the bat and go. Sometimes they have to range out two to 400 yards before they get the track, depending on the wind. I mean, okay. sometimes we'll, sometimes they'll wind a bear that's three or 400 yards out that they have to go out and search to finally hit the track. Wow. Um, so, so we'll go, I mean, once that they, I hear a couple of those older lead dogs start going, I'll just start feeding dogs in. And in the spring, we can run up to 16 dogs on one bear, but in our summer season, we can only run eight at a time. So that's, okay. that's where we're at now. We're, we're right in the middle of our summer season. So, nice. and then from there, I mean, bears are hot and fast. You don't, there's no point in really trying to cold trail a bear unless you have a kill tag and it's a big bear. You're better off just to find one that's hot and fast and you'll turn those dogs loose and sometimes they're treated within a mile and sometimes these bears that we have in southern utah they'll go 10 or 12 miles sometimes even farther before they'll tree wow especially if it's a especially if it's a younger bear i mean they, those suckers they just like to run we call them you know them little bears that have their nikes on so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so what a, but, yeah it, so you're saying the younger the bear a lot of times the farther they'll travel before they hop up a tree do you what causes that do you know uh, usually they, I mean, it pretty much, it varies bear to bear. Some of them just don't like dealing with the dogs and they'll climb up a tree. And some of them are just out to prove a point that <laughs> I'm going to outrun you because, um, bears versus mountain lions, their lung capacity is very, very different. If you get a mountain lion up and running and jumped, it can't run very far and it's out of breath. Okay. Bears, they can go for hours and hours, especially if they stop, get a drink. And they'll go again. And it, and it just depends. You know, a lot of those younger bears, they they just like to run. You know, they can outrun it. Then bigger bears, they won't run as much. They'll they'll run for a ways. And then if they're big enough, a lot of times they won't tree. You end up having to go in and the dogs will bay it up or they'll walk it per se. So a big bear, the dogs are there and they're pretty much just an annoyance. He'll, yeah. he'll go for, he'll walk and the dogs will be all around him barking and he just won't care. And they'll do that for hours and hours on end. 
and eventually they'll the dogs will either get tired if he's mean enough sometimes they'll quit sometimes they won't and you'll have to pull them off or sometimes you can feed in some fresh dogs once he's tired and make him climb you know it just a lot of situations um vary you know in different ways yeah man this is <laughs> this is all so fascinating i'm like if my wife ever mentions moving i might just have to come out to utah that sounds <laughs> that sounds like an awesome time and like what a cool pastime just to go out oh. and let dogs loose on bears and mountain lions yeah i mean we love it i mean this last weekend we had we had a great weekend we were only able to hunt two days we were able to hunt saturday and sunday and uh Saturday, we didn't really get one rigged and going, but I knew that there was a bear in the area up on this ridge. So my wife and my two oldest daughters took five dogs and went for a walk up over the ridge. And next thing I know, she came over the radio, said, Hey, they've got a bear going. They started it. So I drove around the other side. And by the time I got around to the other side, the dogs were just coming through an open meadow. And next thing I know, a couple of those lead dogs lock up treat and the rest followed in and I had a 90 yard walk to the tree (laughs) and it, and it doesn't always happen that way. This weekend was just phenomenal that way. So we got that bear treat and it was actually a sow and a cub. So she had, she had pushed the cub up the tree and she kind of stayed at the bottom until the dogs came and then she climbed. Um, and I was actually fortunate enough to be close enough that I could see that happen. Um, and then the next day we, uh, started a boar. Um, just like first thing right at five 30 in the morning. And they, I mean, he really stayed within like two square miles, but he just did loops and the dogs walked him and he'd break and run. And then they'd walk him again. And he just kept doing circles. And in that two square miles he did, I think the dogs were on him for six and a half miles. Finally, Whoa. before they, finally, before they got him to finally tree. And I, and, and, you know, and I don't have dogs that are, you know, real gritty, they won't go in and, you know, pull hair, or chew on a bear while, it, you know, trying to fight it. Mine just kind of stay back and bark, which yeah. is good. Good for me. I don't have a lot of vet bills that way. Because <laughs> yeah, no I mean, when, when you're dealing with something that big, it can go south in a hurry. But uh, he just kept coming close to the road, close to the road, but he'd never cross it. And I have a 13 year old dog that she's pretty well retired. I don't I don't turn her out, but I feel bad leaving her home. So, I mean, these dogs were a hundred yards from the truck and he just wouldn't climb. And I was like, finally, I was like, the heck with it. I'm going to let her go. I turned her out within 200 yards. She had that bear climbing the tree <laughs> and, and, and it, it was a, it, it was a decent boar, probably a five or six year old boar. He was more kind of lengthy with a big frame. He wasn't real fat, but I mean, it still worked great. And even then it was a short walk. The dogs, I mean, we had to walk a hundred yards from the truck. <laughs> so I, I'll take that any day, especially with my kids there. Oh yeah. So it was, it was just an awesome weekend. What, like, what's the size range? I mean, obviously you can get some like small bears and cubs. What, how big have you seen bears get out there in Utah? Out here in Utah, if they break 400 pounds, that's a big, big bear. You know, okay. I, I know if you get more on like the east coast you know where they eat a lot more corn and stuff like that they can push 600 pounds but out here they have such a hard time finding feed because we're you know we're in the mountains but we're also desert so they don't they don't live by cornfields you know they're eating roots they're eating bugs they're eating fawns and stuff like that they don't have quite the rich diet to get that big yeah what um are you seeing a lot of like uh 
color phase bears or like cinnamon bears or are they mainly black there where you're at? No, no. 95% of them here are all color phase. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. Know. We see everything I hear is like the drier climates, um, like that. There's just, they, they're more Brown and I've seen one black bear, I think ever in my life or no, I've seen a couple, but they've all been black and I think the reason is because we're in more dense forest places where it gets a lot of precipitation. Yeah, very well could be. But yeah, I mean, in 14 years of running hounds, I have tree. Well, I didn't, we didn't even tree him. We ended up um, baying him up. I had a friend this spring that had a tag and we had to um, harvest him on the ground in front of the dogs. And that's the only black one I have ever caught myself in Utah. I catch, we catch a lot of cinnamons, a lot of chocolates and one, I've actually caught one blonde bear, but that was actually the one I harvested myself. He was, wasn't a monster, monster bear, but definitely the prettiest bear I have ever seen. And I was lucky enough. I had a tag in my hand that year. Man, that like to have, to see all the different like phases of bear colors, uh, to see the mountain lions, like you're kind of in a small group of people. Like it seems Mm -hmm. like there's not many people, even I've talked to a ton of hunters and I maybe know three or four people who have ever even been on a hound hunt for bears and mountain lions. And that's out of like hundreds of people that I've come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's, what's crazy is a lot of people don't know it and you don't see it, but you'll also get different colors of mountain lions. You'll get some that are like that real light tan and then you'll also get others that have more of a red tint to them. And then we, I've actually seen a couple that I, you know, I have a few friends that are outfitters that I'll help with every once in a while. We had one that was almost like a charcoal color. It was one of the prettiest toms I have Dang. ever seen. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I guess I've never thought about mountain lions being different colors. I know that that one neighbor said they saw a black one and they swore by it. And I'm just like, you know, I feel like more people would come out and say that they found one, but I know there's, there's kind of crazy instances like that. I don't mm-hmm. know. It, I know you're on Instagram. Did you see, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago now, someone either in New Mexico or Arizona were running hounds and they, they um, bayed a jaguar. Yeah, yeah. So especially down in like southern New Mexico and Arizona, um, back in the day, there's an old houndsman by the name of Warner Glenn that he used to catch jaguars all the time. So it happens. It's not as popular now. Um, it does happen a little more so in Mexico, but, uh, yeah, they do, they do catch jaguars. Are, are cats a lot more prone to be aggressive towards the dogs or bears? Bears. Bears. I mean, a, a, a cat, if you catch it on the ground, gets, gets pretty Western pretty fast, but for the most part, a lot of these cats will just, once they climb up in the tree, they're good to stay there. You'll get a few of these females that, as soon as they see you or hear you come and they'll jump and the dogs will have to tree her again. But for the most part, they don't get real aggressive with the dogs unless they catch them. The dogs catch them on the ground, whether they bay them up on a ledge or if the cat just didn't make it to a tree and they bay it up under a smaller tree or stuff like that. That, I mean, lions can definitely put a hurting on the dogs, but bears, especially big bears definitely get a lot more aggressive, especially some of them get just, plain ornery all right guys if you enjoy this show and you want to know how to make your own i'm going to tell you about something called anchor it's an app that i've been using ever since i started and it's completely free 
like I said, I've used it from the get go and I haven't had to pay a single penny to distribute my podcasts through this app. They've got creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone, tablet, computer. So you don't have to get a bunch of fancy equipment in order to get started. Now you can also add songs directly from Spotify into your episodes. So, I mean, you can create whatever you want, something that nobody's ever heard before. And it's so easy. Just click and drag. Anchor is also going to help you distribute your podcast. And so you don't have to upload it to all of these different platforms. Anchor can be that central hub that your podcast goes out to all of the other platforms through. And you can make money without any minimum listenership. So, I mean, you heard that right. You can actually start making money right away, no matter how many listeners you have. So what I'm getting at is it's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, I I mean, when you're talking about some of these bears getting up close to 400 pounds and then they won't necessarily go up a tree and then you're coming up trying to pull dogs off. I'm like, that seems, that seems like a wild day being that close oh. to an animal that's pissed because you've been messing with it all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Luckily I've haven't been charged yet, but I know guys that they get, they'll get into dogs baying up a bear on the ground and that bear will look at them and just have enough and it'll come right at them. And I, <laughs> luckily I've, I haven't had that happen. I have had a lion get a hold of me once, but luckily it was just in my boot and not anywhere that it broke skin. But uh, <laughs> bear, bears. I definitely... like how nonchalant you were about saying <laughs> I have had a lion get a hold of me once. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For the most part, lions are in a tree, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes you'll get there, and that lion will be halfway asleep in the tree. Cause it's just like, yeah, you dogs can't get to me. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep up here. You'll get there and its eyes are closed and it just doesn't care. But bears usually never that way. They're, they're always a lot more grumpy. So Yeah, man. I, as you're talking about that, like a cat being up in the tree, thinking a dog can't get to it. My wife and I, um, we've got this crazy series of events that happened. We were on our way out to our house and we had lived out in the country at that point. And I look out in the cattle pasture across the road and there's these two dogs laying there and they are skinny as can be. I thought they were dead. And so I stopped the car and whistled at them um, because they were just laying there motionless and they both stood up and ran over to me. Well, when they got over there, I noticed they had like tiny i don't know if it was a bb gun or a 22 some type of bullet holes like peppering their chest and we got them home fed them kind of put some weight back on them and they were like a point they seemed like a pointer hound mix they never really did like bellow like a hound would um Mm -hmm. but they just look like some sort of mix like that and i remember one day i go outside and i look and above the propane tank in our yard this dog was about 12 feet up in the tree and one of the farm cats was at the very top branch. And I was like, what in the world? Like I've never seen a dog climb a tree before. And it wasn't like a straight trunk or anything, you know, like it was kind of at an angle. And so I was like, well, that kind of gives it a little bit more of an advantage. I pull the dogs back and, you know, I try to teach them a lesson a couple of times that they can't mess with the cats. And one day the neighbor came over and they were like, listen, 
if that dog comes over to my house again, I'm going to shoot it because the other day I look out and it was 45 feet up in this tree, chasing my cat up the tree. And I was like, this, okay. I'm glad I'm not just crazy or that it wasn't a dream. Like these dogs actually somehow know how to climb trees. And I can only imagine what that would look like if you had a group of dogs with a hundred and 50 pound mountain lion up in the tree and all of a sudden your dogs are right on its tail. Yeah, it, it happens actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to teach my dogs that that's not okay, but yeah, you'll, sometimes you'll get there, especially, you know, where I live, a lot of these um, trees that I catch them in are little juniper trees. Cause there's not a lot of these big pine trees or ponderosa trees around on some of these hills that I catch. So if it's got low enough branches, dogs will climb. And they'll be, you'll get there and they're face to face with that lion, just barking it in the face. And Jeez. if they get close enough, that lion will swat them, knock them out of the tree. And I mean, and I've had some instances with low um, pine trees that have low branches that that dog will climb. And for some reasons you'll get there and the dog's higher in the tree than the lion. And that that's when it gets a little crazy is when you have to climb up that tree past that lion to get that dog out. And <laughs> they get, they get pretty grumpy. Oh I mean, that's. Gosh they get that i mean and lions just have like that hollow hollow stare i mean they they can stare right through you and they get that deep growl and they'll hiss at you as you're climbing up past them it it gets a little intense but for the most part those cats want nothing to do with you they're they're more of a bluff than anything but they can it it's definitely it'll get your nerves going for sure Oh yeah. I tell my wife every now and then I'm like, you know, if I knew I was going to survive and not have like a long lasting serious injury, I would absolutely take like a bear or a mountain lion strike on the arm or like chest (laughs) and just have like a wicked scar and a cool story to tell. But I guarantee if I was up in the tree face to face with a mountain lion like that, I would not, not choose that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I mean, the more and more I'm around them, the more and more I've done it. I don't get near as nervous, but those first few years, I mean, I was like, ah, I'm not getting close to that tree. I'm going to, I'm going to holler at my dogs and get them to come to me. And, you know, this last winter we had a younger Tom tree, you know, in a, a juniper tree and he was pretty decent up. The dogs couldn't get to him. But once we got in there and we're taking some pictures, he decided to bail and he ran across the Canyon. And on the other side, it was nothing but scrub oak. And so he found the biggest scrub oak tree he could climb. And he was maybe seven feet off the ground. And my dogs are just at the base jumping. And as they're jumping up, trying to get at this lion, that lion's swatting in the air, trying to catch him in the air as they're jumping up and down. And he was a little pissy when I went in and started grabbing dogs right underneath him to, you know, pull them back and leash them up and stuff like that. And he took a swat at me once, but I mean, I, I'm not very tall, so he wasn't very close, but yeah, it's just, it was interesting. We have some video of that with my wife right behind me and she, (laughs) she's like, be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. It would only take one event like that with my wife with where she'd be like, all right, you're done doing this. This is not going to happen again. (laughs) We, uh, go ahead. Yeah, it gets, it can get crazy fast you know and i don't worry as much with lions as i do bears for the most part those lions want nothing to do with you but an honorary bear once they get something in their mind they can definitely come at you and do a little damage yeah have you have you had dogs that have gotten tore up pretty good from an animal yet (sighs) knock on wood no 
you know, I, <laughs> and I, I know it's coming sooner or later. I've had dogs get a few holes in them from lions that they've ended up catching on the ground and stuff like that. But so far I've been very, very fortunate. I know a lot of guys that have had dogs get really tore up and have, have had dogs get killed, you know, with, with lions, it's usually when you catch them on a ledge, especially okay. if it's a big ledge, some of those big toms, once they figure out they can do it and they get smart, a dog will get close and that Tom, it won't even like grab the dog and bite it and try and, you know, get it that way. It'll just grab it and chuck it like a rock behind it off that ledge. Jeez. I mean, it's just, it, it gets crazy that way. And that's usually what happens with lions, but bears, it all just depends on how grumpy of a bear you have. Sometimes you'll have a bear that, you know, doesn't want to fight the dogs, just go up a tree and be happy. And you'll get some of those bigger, bigger boars that, once the dogs are all in close and baying it, it'll just single out a dog and run it down. And, oh you know, goodness. they just, they just pummel it from there. You know, a lot of times you'll have dogs that you come that just have, you know, a ripped open side or stuff like that. And it, it hasn't happened to me. This is just stories. I know of buddies that have happened or a barrel, get the dog on the ground and it'll just take, you know, both front feet and just jump on the dog and the dog's done from there. Oh my so it's, goodness. It's definitely tough, but I've been very, very fortunate enough that I haven't had that happen yet. Yeah, we'll keep hoping that that is a continuing trend for you. Um, yeah. What, and like what's the size difference? Like, how, how big are these dogs that you're running? Most of the dogs I run are in between 35 to 50 pounds. They're not big oh, dogs. Wow. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that's not big at all in comparison to a. 300 pound bear and then what about the cats i mean are are they i know some people get this like grand idea that these cats are like 300 pounds but from what i understand a 200 pound cat's a pretty big cat and and where i live a 200 pound cat is pretty well non-existent a big okay. a big tom around where we live is 150 plus pounds but they're not going to get much over 170 Okay. Most the female, most of the females that we run are 80 pounds, maybe 90 pounds for a big female. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, even that, like I, I've seen, I've seen little house cats tear up a dog before that's oh. when the dog's three times their size, but you're talking about a cat that's three to five times the dog size. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if they, if, if a lion could really figure out that if they wanted to, they could just massacre one dog at a time they could do it but most of them are so worried about all the rest of the dogs that they won't single one out and just do damage they just they'll grab a hold of one and then three more come and they just they just can't decide and that's why they'd rather just go up a tree yeah they're they're not ones to want to fight on the ground unless they absolutely have to that makes sense yeah. And then, I mean, when you're talking about, you're typically letting out a couple veteran dogs. So at least they've always got the numbers in their favor. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard the stories of like a single dog breaking away. Like one dog runs the track one way, the other one goes the, the other way. And they say that goes South a lot quicker than if you have multiple dogs on a cat. Yeah. And, and, and it just really depends on the lion. You know, if it's one that just trees easy and it's fine, not looking for a fight it's not a big deal. I mean, I've had dogs catch their own lions, same with bears. You know, this spring we had a really good race where a, a bear had crossed the road. The dogs rigged it, went down into a Canyon. And then all of a sudden I look in there and all my old dogs went one way. And one of my better younger dogs took a couple puppies with him and went the other way. 
And I was like, oh man, they're chasing elk or deer or something. But I, I, you know, I don't know. So I let them be. We went to the first tree where the older dogs were and they had caught a sow. She was by herself, good looking sow. And we come back up and I finally get signal on the other dogs and it was saying they were treed. I was like, well, either they got a bear or they're laid up because they're tired. It was hot. And we get down in there and that they had treated a sow and two cubs by themselves. Dang. So I, it, 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 it just depends all really on the animal that they're after, whether it can go south fast or not, you know? Yeah, man, that is, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like geeking out over here. Just hearing about all this <laughs> stuff. I'm like, this is the coolest lifestyle. I think I've, I've talked to a lot of people now on the show and this is the coolest thing I've heard. Like you were just out with dogs that are trained to tree cats and bears. And like, I've seen the videos and I knew it was a thing, but now actually hearing about hearing from someone who does this consistently. Oh man, I, I will be out there this fall at some point and checking out what you've got going on. Cause oh, it sounds more amazing. than welcome. Yeah. You're more than welcome. And I say, I mean, it's, it's a way of life, but it's also a horrible, horrible addiction. <laughs> that just sounds like outdoor activities as a whole. My wife's always like, wait a minute. I thought hunting season was over. I'm like, babe, there's no such thing as hunting season being over. There's always coyote season, period. So now you know there's never a break from the action, but it just bounces from one to the next to the next. And I'm like, I, it's probably a good thing. I don't live where I could tree mountain lions because then my <laughs> wife and kids would never see me. Well, yeah. And it's, and luckily for, we're fortunate enough right now that there's really only two months out of the year that I can't run something with my dogs. And if I lived in an area where there was a better coon population, I would run coons with my dogs, but we don't have the population here to support that. Oh man, bring a couple dogs out here. I have about <laughs> 20,000 trail camera pictures and about two tons of corn that have disappeared because of raccoons. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, there, there's some destructive little things, but I, where I used to live when I first started running hounds, we could run coons all the time. So I was hunting three to four nights a week in the off season. And then I'd even hunt during the week when I couldn't run mountain lions and bears just to get the dogs going and keep them in shape. And Cause it's always better to hunt them than just to go exercise them. They're yeah. learning something while they're going. So. Yeah. That makes sense. What, uh, what's the time frame Like, so you've mentioned cold tracks, you've mentioned, uh, when they're super fresh, how long will a track keep enough scent to even peak a dog's interest? So, so with bears, um, scent burns off very, very fast. So it, if you're running a bear, that's, you know, 12 plus hours old, it's going to be a little tougher. The, the fresher, the better with bears because their scent burns off so fast that you could be cold trailing a bear and it just gets so hot and everything that the scent will burn off and you just, you can't finish it. But with lions, um, not my dogs in particular, but I've seen guys, you know, in good conditions with snow run a two to three day old track and catch it. Wow. You know, I, I've had instances where I've started a track that I know is at least, you know, 48 hours old. And we've been lucky enough that the dogs push through with good conditions and we're able to get that cat up and going. But, and it all just depends, you know, on scent conditions and weather conditions, but also on how far that cat travels. 
Sometimes if, if they have a kill in the area, they don't travel far. They they'll just move a little bit, go get some water, come back to the kill and do that. But if they're a Tom that's on the lookout for females or making his rounds on his home territory, I mean, those lions can cover some ground sometimes, you know, in a night they can do five to 10 plus miles if they want. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, (laughs) that's where it would get real interesting. I mean, if the dogs are picking up what seems like a fresh scent, and that mm-hmm. cat's already six, seven miles away. That would, that oh, would yeah. make for a heck of a day. Yeah, definitely. And they say, I mean, it's all whether or not you get lucky enough that there's a road close by. <laughs> yeah. If not, you just you strap up and go for a walk because that's, that's one promise, you know, I've always made to myself and those dogs that if I turn them loose, I'll be there. It might take me a lot longer than it takes them, but I'm going to get there and I'm going to make it to wherever they are. I won't. Unless I have to, I won't leave a dog out overnight. You know, I'll, I'll do my best to get there. I've had to, two times in 14 years, leave one overnight. So, wow. The, um, have you had any issues? Maybe you don't even have wolves down there, but I know a lot of the States where people are running dogs now are starting to get wolf populations. Do you have them in Southern Utah right now? I'm no established packs so okay. far. There's been a few singles that have roamed through. So yeah, right now that's not an issue for us at all. That's good. Yeah. I, I remember one of my first introductions to hounds chasing anything was in, I think it was like Bowhunter magazine or some type of outdoor magazine. When I was young, I read a story about a guy in Wisconsin who was just out training his dogs for bears and he gets, he gets the signal that they, um, had something treed, but he could still hear them. And he's like, I just heard yelps. And then it was silent and he got down there and they had come across a pack of wolves that just kind of tore them all apart. And that's where I'm like, man, a lot of the States, especially like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, like they've got pretty large wolf populations. Now I can't imagine that people are too keen to let their dogs out. Um, knowing that, there's an alpha alpha male um or like a more dominant dog species out there that loves to kill actual dogs yeah and that and that's a big big thing is a lot of guys they'll if they find a lion track in the winter or something they'll cut as many roads around it as they can making sure there's no active wolf tracks in the area because the wolves see the dogs as competition and if they hear them they're going to come in and they're going to wipe them out, especially in the spring for the spring bear hunts. Cause that's when they have pups on the ground, the wolves. And oh, so yeah. they're, they're very, very territorial and, you know, and you're talking a 80 to 120 pound timber wolf versus a 40 to 50 pound dog. I oh, mean, yeah. most guys, most guys don't run hounds that are way big. You have some that get up to that 70 to 80 pound, but that still is nothing for a trained killer, you know, especially if there's a pack of them versus, you know, five or six dogs versus eight wolves. That's, that's just not even a question of what's going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's been a serious issue in a lot of places. And I know, I mean, it's a hot, it's a hot topic in the political realm right now of whether or not to reintroduce wolves, but growing up in Wisconsin, I mean, we had, we had an almost non-existent wolf population and now the tri-state area like the northern great lakes area michigan minnesota and wisconsin they've got more wolves in that area than the greater yellowstone ecosystem and so i mean they're devastating almost 
all wildlife populations. I've talked to guys that they, they used to limit out, um, or they used to fill both a doe and a buck tag in Northern Wisconsin every year. And I've talked to guys who hasn't, haven't seen a whitetail in several years now, but they've seen seven to eight wolves every time they're up in the stand. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. It's just, can't imagine having to deal with that and you know good for wisconsin this last year opening up that wolf season i mean i can't believe how quick they closed that quota (laughs) oh man yeah i mean there's so many the so back in the day when they had their first wolf season um they said that they wanted the population of wolves in wisconsin to get to 300 and it had gotten to over a thousand before they actually opened a wolf season Um, they opened it up and then they shut it down pretty quickly. And then people were kind of getting fed up. And I heard story after story about people doing the shoot shovel and shut up method when it came to wolves up there. But now with how quick it's booming and how it's affecting the deer population, especially in the Northern part of the state, they're just having to do something about it to get it back under control. Yeah. Oh, and I, you know, Idaho's the same way with their elk population and they're even just putting a herding on the moose as well. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just trickling out into every state by it. That, uh, it's just, it, it's bad. You know, it's not a good thing. They're just decimating the wildlife like crazy. I mean, there's a reason the old timers did what they did and kind of eliminated them because of yep. how detrimental they are to every other species of wildlife i mean even bears and mountain lions they they curb their growth just as much you know with killing cubs and kittens and stuff like that yeah well and then it's like the the competition on that side of it like i've I've watched the videos in yellowstone or up in montana at glacier and and the wolves are surrounding a giant grizzly bear and kicking it off a fresh kill and i'm Mm -hmm. like it's got to be super difficult for any of the other carnivores or predators to get a good meal with wolf packs running around that, you know, no animal can compete with a dozen wolves coming in. Oh no, no, they can try, but eventually they're going to get tired and have to give up. It's yep. just the way it is. Yeah. They, uh, they're not something that I would mess with. I talk about it all the time. I'm like, I think I'd rather face a cat or a bear than, than a pack of wolves. Cause oh, know, yeah. they're coming at you from every angle. We, we came face to face on two different occasions with grizzlies a couple of years ago when we were up in Alaska. And I'm like, geez, mm-hmm. man, to think that there's animals out here that will run that thing off. I mean, those, those bears are a thousand pounds. And yeah. I mean, if they come across wolves, it's like they have no other choice but to turn the other way. Yeah. Yeah. They're just, I mean, it's, they're an apex predator. That's just, the way it is and it's that it's crazy to think of how many there was versus how many there is now i mean they they populate almost worse than rabbits oh yeah (laughs) they really do yeah it's just that's that's one thing that's been pretty detrimental to the wildlife in any area that they that they live and reside do now um back to back to mountain lion hunting for a second do you do any like predatory work if if someone has a problem cat in the area say with livestock or um even like uh the fish and game department or whatever it's called there in utah like if they have one that's been a, a nuisance do you ever do any work with ranchers or or wildlife management agencies 
I haven't personally, but I have buddies that do, you know, it's, it's harder for me where right now I have an everyday job, um, versus some of my friends that are outfitters that, yeah, they get a call. Hey, yeah, I got nothing going on. I can go take care of it versus me. They'll call me and I can't get away from work. So, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I haven't been able to do that, but I would like to in the future for sure. You know, cause I understand that's their livelihood. And if a lion's, you know, whacking a calf or killing some sheep, that's one that needs to be taken out of the gene pool. It just, you know, is the way it is. And you know, that I understand that completely. I'm not a fan of killing them all, but you know, every lion that you kill is one that you can't run again another day. So, yeah. but I definitely understand that some need to be harvested for sure. Yeah. Now, I mean, you said you, you've had a tag and you've had other people who have had tags. How many, how many lions do you actually go after with the intent of, um, killing each year um me myself i have went after personally with my own dogs i have went after one with the intent of harvesting it i do help buddies that are outfitters which 100 percent of the time when i'm with them we're after one with the intent of harvesting it but okay for me i just like watching the dogs work we treat it we take pictures and we leave it so we can run it again another day that's cool. How many, how many of these cats do you think you've, I mean, do you know of any specific cats that you're like, this is definitely one that I've treed before? Oh yeah. Most definitely. Especially in areas that I hunt, there's some females that are just resident. That's where they live. So I know, you know, on a good fresh snow, if I'm going up this road, most of the time I know where they're going to cross. If they do cross, it's going to be here. And I know this cat, you know, she's lived here. She's been here for a couple of years. I've caught her three or four times, you know, and they're distinct. I mean, some of them look really similar, but you see enough of them. You can pick apart the differences and know, yep. Oh yeah. I've caught her before. You know, I've never seen this lion in, in here before. That's, you know, one that's come into the territory, especially with Tom's. Yeah. That, Gosh, it just keeps getting better and better. Like to actually identify an animal and be like, yeah, I remember her. I, you know, I caught her last year or back in 2017 or whatever that (laughs) I don't know. I geek out about that stuff. I mean, coming from whitetail hunting, like I like when I see the same deer over and over and kind of, um, have a history with it. And I can't imagine what that would be like with a top predator, like a big cat. Yeah. You know, and it's a lot of times, you know, you'll cut them if they cross in the same spot, you know, and you turn dogs loose, you watch a lot of times they'll take the same trail that like they're very habitual animals. Okay. You know, that they like to cross roads in the same spot. They like to cross this ridge in the same spot, especially the toms, you know, when they mark their territory, making scratches under trees and stuff, they like to use those same travel routes. So I'll turn loose on a female that I've caught before. And most of the time I can watch her and say, Oh, I know where she's going to tree, you know, I, this Canyon somewhere. And sometimes you've, I've caught lions in the same tree, you know, as you know, last year or the year before that, Oh yeah, I've been to this tree before. I know exactly where she's going. Yeah. You know, it just, it, and it all depends on, you know, like say how far behind her when we start the track, sometimes we'll catch it quicker than before. And other times it'll be, you know, the same time. Oh yeah. She treed, you know, a hundred yards down the Canyon last time in this tree or something like that, you know, it, it just depends. But a lot of these resident females, you get pretty used to how they act and, you know, where they cross and where they travel. I can, I can only imagine what it's like from the cat's perspective. Like they hear the dogs and they're like, oh, come on, not these guys again. <laughs> not again. Yeah. 
yeah you know, that i'm just be... gonna get in a tree quick get this over with and then be back on my way yeah yeah that ugly guy's back with all those yapping dogs <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome man i'm i'm more than pumped up right now about getting out there and trying to do this this sounds like a really good time um i'm oh, gonna it's a go ahead Oh, it's a blast. You'll love it. I mean, there's, there's days that you don't find nothing and you spend a lot of hours in a truck driving, but you know, the day that you find a track, it definitely makes it all worth it. You forget about the crappy parts. Oh yeah. Um, well, we're, we're just over an hour now. I want to give you a chance to, uh, chat about some of your other stuff. Um, so you're on, you're on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube as the hunting fam. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people can follow along there, but then also I saw that, uh, you've got cold strike gear, which I went on and I was looking at some of the stuff. You've got a clothing line. Um, mm-hmm. how did that come about? So that came about actually, you know, pretty well just over a year ago, you know, as we were really getting deep into this, you know, the hunting fam, which I mean, that for us was never anything more than just a way to document our family's journey on transitioning into really doing this full-time as a family you know and so if something came about it we were like all right cool but really it was just something for us and just to kind of put a different perspective on what people see hound hunters as because if this typical you know stereotype of houndsman is it's the old grumpy redneck that's grungy and you know just doesn't care for his dogs and doesn't do this when really that's not anywhere close to 99% of houndsmen. Yeah. It's more of a family thing than you will ever see. People just don't put that image out there like we do. And that's why we started that was just to really bring about that, you know, these dogs are part of our family. Yes, they're working dogs, but my kids literally, I have my five-year-old daughter, Chloe, every morning will go out and she walks through our dogs and says hi to them and pets them. And then when they feed them, I mean, she'll literally st- stir their food bowl like a cereal bowl while these dogs are trying to eat, <laughs> you know? And so they're, they're, they are family dogs. I mean, yeah, they're not inside dogs that come and sleep in my bed. Cause I, I don't do that. But, uh, I mean, my kids will let them all out in our fence backyard and play with them in the pool, give them baths. I mean, it's just, they're part of our family, but they're also very, very serious working dogs when they need to be. Yeah. And so we just started that journey. And then as we, you know, started getting more and more into it, my wife was like, man, it's so hard to find good quality clothes for our kids. And even, you know, for women, you know, the hunting industry has always been so hardcore geared towards men that even her, she couldn't find like good pants that fit her right. Yeah. You could find pants, but they, in her words, they fit like frumpy, you know, she's like, she's like, I want to be in the mountains and be hunting, but I also still, you know, typical woman, I want to feel good about how I look, you know, I mean, she's not one that's going to do her makeup and do her hair for a picture and stuff, but she just wants to feel good about herself when she's in the mountains and stuff. So we really started looking into it and she's like, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's jump into it. So we, we did some t-shirts and hats and sweatshirts and a couple other things just to kind of get some cash flow going. But our, our big thing right now is we're designing our own pair of hunting pants, you know, and we've had our first prototypes and we've um, got those back and made some tweaks and we're hoping to get our second prototypes back soon. And, you know, and we're hoping to launch our pant line in September and it's going to be, you know, pretty much for kids that are like 40 and up 
all the way up to adults, you know, and that's something that's kind of hard to find as far as, you know, kids is quality pants. And I understand a lot of people, you know, might not want to spend that much, but our goal is to have it so you can pass it down from one kid to the next. We want stuff that's quality and that will last. That's awesome. So, I mean, we're, we're there, we're already in the works on doing some jackets. And then I actually have a chest pack that's kind of geared towards houndsmen as far as carrying GPS and a radio while we hike. Cause right now there's not very many good options out there. So a lot of our stuff is geared towards houndsmen, but it's going to be versatile enough that anyone can wear it. And we're not going to do the camo thing. It's going to be all solids. Cause for what we do, I don't need to wear a camo to go chase my dogs. I'm not sneaking up on this mountain lion or bear. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's 10 dogs making plenty of noise. <laughs> so you're not doing any scent control or, or camo. No, no <laughs> but I mean, if we're, if we're talking about a big bear on the ground, I'll play the wind just so he doesn't smell me coming in. But yeah. for the most part, yeah, we're not worried about anything like that. We're dealing with a lot of noise. So, um, so what are, what are those going to be called? Um, if people want to look up the hunting pants. So, so it'll be on coldstrikegear.com and they're okay. going to be called our strike pant is the name that they'll be under. Okay, um, sweet. but cold strike it's on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, but if, if you go on, follow the hunting fam, you'll see us talking about them more and more. We do a lot of stories and stuff on them and it's, it's definitely been one heck of a journey. I, when we first started, I was like, oh yeah, it's going to be fast and quick. We're going to be able to do this. And a year into it, I'm like, man, there's so much more to this process than we ever thought. Well, yeah, it seems like you've got your hands full. Uh, I want to ask you about one other thing, because on your Instagram, I don't know how many times I've looked at this, but then I've never noticed, uh, the braving the mountain podcast. Have you started a podcast? So that is actually my wife. Yeah. So uh, I'm not, I have, <laughs> I've done a few podcasts and stuff, but she's definitely, you know, a little more outgoing and stuff. So she started her own podcast mainly about just building a product-based business from scratch, from oh, nothing. Cool. I mean, we, we literally had no idea what we were doing. And on that, she does, you know, she talks more about mindset and the stuff that we had to do to get here, but she also has a, a mini series on there that's called building cold strike. And she really gets in depth on how we've done that. I mean, and she talks, she holds nothing back. It's money. She'll tell you what we spend on this, what we do on this. I mean, it's just, we're very, very transparent. We, we have nothing to hide as far as that goes. And that's, that was her goal to do a podcast and she's done very, very well with it. So, man, that's really cool. And I'm pumped about those pants because I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, being a whitetail hunter, people would crucify me for saying that I don't really care that much about camo. Um, but I really don't. And I just love when people come out with a good quality hunting pant that I can take out and beat up and not have to worry about if I, if I go through some briars or a thorn patch or something like that. And so you're going to have to let me know once the, uh, first ones are up for sale and I will be, I'll be picking up a pair. Oh, I will. I will for sure say it it's getting close we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of finally getting to be done with it and getting ready to launch them so man that is sweet well hey i'm not going to take up any more of your time i know it's getting late here and we've been at it for almost an hour and 15 minutes um but i want to give you the final word i call this uh part of the episode unloading the chamber or emptying the chamber and so whatever you want to share with the listeners um now's your chance um 
for me, it would just be to experience the hound world as much as you can and go into it with an open mind and realize that it's not just, you know, a bunch of guys that are out to, you know, kill mountain lions or bears because 90% of us, it's catch and release. It's like fishing, you know, but with 100 pound, 300 pound predators, yeah. you know, and so I just like, you know, for me, I just like to be an advocate for the sport that really don't judge it until you can try it or experience it in some way and realize that, you know, it's, it's a way of life and we're about the dogs that are part of the family and everything like that. And just, you know, really go into it with an open mind and just enjoy it, enjoy the dog work, enjoy the companionship that these houndsmen have with their dogs. You know, I mean, like I can tell every dog's bark and by their bark, I can tell what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's just a very intricate lifestyle that I think a lot of people would really, really enjoy if they gave it a chance. That's awesome. If so, if there's somebody who's listening and they're in an area where they can do this type of thing, like in Utah, is there an association they they can become a part of to learn more about it, to maybe get mentored or like go out and learn hands on with somebody? Definitely. So in Utah and in almost every state that has houndsmen, houndsmen, there is a group that's in that state. In Utah, it's the Utah Houndsman Association, and I'm actually a board member. You know, I advocate for houndsmen. We advocate, you know, dealing with tag numbers and everything like that. And so if you can get a hold of us, you know, website, social media, anything like that, one of us would be more than happy to educate you and even have a possibility of taking you out and letting you go with us. I mean, it's just the future of our sport depends on future generations. You know, if, if we don't pass it on and teach young kids or teach new people the right ways of doing it, our sport's going to die. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then, sorry, one last question, and then I will actually let you go. Um, for me, I've always thought like, man, if I ever go out mountain lion hunting like this uh, behind dogs, like I would want to go to actually harvest an animal. Um, but hearing hearing from you, like if you were to go out and harvest an animal every time you took your dogs out, like you wouldn't have any left in the area to pursue. How, how do you think I should navigate that in my expectations, like of a first, of a first hunt behind dogs? Um, I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I don't hold anything against people that have that on their bucket list that want to do it. I would just say, make sure that you book a hunt with an outfitter or someone that really is geared towards a trophy lion. You know, a lot of guys will just, Oh, I'll take you out and you can kill this lion or kill that lion. But if you go out and actually see a few different lions, you'll realize if it's a once in a lifetime thing for you, that killing a female is like killing a doe, but you're not okay. going to eat the meat. You know, you yeah. want to harvest that big mature Tom that is really going to look, you know, for a trophy aspect, really going to look good on the wall, really going to have an awesome presence as far as taxidermy and stuff goes, you know, and, and if you go with the houndsman that, you know, you treat a few different, you know, female to Tom, you'll really be able to see the size difference and just the, the, you know, big majestic Tom versus just the female, you know, and that's a lot of what houndsmen push for is to harvest mature males only, because if you kill a female, she's not going to have kittens. She's not going to have cubs and that stunts the future generation. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Now, do you, have you eaten mountain lion? Cause I've heard on other podcasts that it's actually really good. 
Me personally, I haven't, but I've also never killed one myself. You know, okay. if I, if I ever decide to, I will eat it. I know it's yeah. a white meat. It looks like pork. Um, but I've heard lots of people that really, really love it. You know, I just haven't done it cause it's not, I, I I've been around them enough and, you know, skinned a few of them, enough of them out that man, they stink. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like any predator. I mean, they just stink, especially, you know, bears and lions. They, they smell so bad that I'm like, ah, I just don't have any desire to eat that thing. <laughs> but if I harvest one myself, I for sure will at least try, you know, some back straps and stuff like that for yeah. sure. Yeah. I, that's something that I would have never guessed would taste good. Like a giant cat that eats nothing but meat. And mm-hmm. I just heard it on a couple podcasts. I feel like over the course of the three week period, you know, when you hear something and then all of a sudden you hear it multiple times and you're like, have I heard this a lot or am mm-hmm. I just like focusing on it now? So that's why I'm noticing it. I heard it multiple times over the course of a week or two week period. And I was like, man, now I've, I'm just interested and I want to taste it. I want to see what it tastes mm-hmm. like. So. Well, I know guys you know, from, you know, hunting with past, you know, clients with some of my outfitter buddies that, you know, they'll tell them, Hey, if you have people that don't want the meat, I want it. I will pay you to ship it to me. I want it. They just love it. And I'm just like, man, I I might have to try it, but man, that thing stinks, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It might be off putting like as you're getting or as you're, as you're processing it, like that smell can stay with you as you're trying it. Oh yeah, definitely. But like I say, I mean, if I ever decide to finally harvest one myself, I will for sure try it. Yeah. Well, Dustin, it's been a true pleasure. Like I really enjoyed this episode and hopefully, um, this fall I can come out there and see what it's all about. And then maybe you can do a podcast live in person. Oh, oh, that'd be awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for being on and, um, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. We'll keep chatting about this. Oh yeah. You're more than welcome. It's been a blast. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely had a good time chatting with Dustin about his passion, something that he just loves to do. And I can't imagine having that as a weekend hobby, just taking your 10 dogs out, chasing down big cats, you know, sometimes climbing a tree and possibly one getting a hold of your boot. Um, it just, It's a different world to me, but I look forward to diving into it this fall with him. And I think Dustin and I are going to be friends for a long time to come. So we'll see what, how that all plays out. But for now, I'm going to hop off and get my bags packed, get my camera ready to go and go check out some of the world's largest brown bears. Stay tuned uh, for these stories to come. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.